often I come up here, I'm reaching for my phone to make sure that it's either turned off that I left it in the back. Because uh, I would not want it to go off while I'm preaching a sermon. Uh, thankfully, I have a good pattern of leaving it in the back office so it's not a problem. Um, I want to ask, speaking of phone calls and, 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 and the like, I want to ask, what would be an exciting phone call to get? If you could get a phone call, what would be one that would be exciting to receive? Maybe a friend you haven't heard from in a long time. Maybe a call from your boss to, say, to give you a good report. Maybe the president or favorite celebrity. You know, you know, athletes long to get the call they've been drafted to a team. No wonder why, because that includes a million, millions of dollars worth of signing bonus included in that phone call. Young people who perhaps want to serve in the military, they, they, they're excited to get that phone call from the recruiter. You can think of a number of ways in which an exciting phone call might, might come your way. One time I had a buddy... FaceTime me, and on the other end of the phone call, I wasn't particularly excited, but it was fun. On the other, when the phone screen came up, it was Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. Hello, Garrett. I was like, what? <laughs> um, that was pretty funny. Uh, he, my buddy knows him somehow. Um, but yeah, you could think of someone calling you in, that, in those circumstances and be like, you won't believe who I talked to today on the phone. And maybe we'd say, no way, that didn't happen. You'd say, yeah, it did. So many today are without purpose and they're drying up because life's callings either didn't come uh, to them the way they wanted them to or they didn't live up to what they had always hoped they would live up to. The opportunity, the call didn't come. And so they live with a lot of depression, discouragement, even despair. According to the Bible, there is one call that is above all others that never fails. It is the call of God. You see, there's a, the general call of God goes out to all. It sounds like this. You were created for more than, than this created world can give you. You were created by me, for me. Come to me and live as you were intended, as you were created to, to worship me. But often, that call comes out from preachers like me and it falls on deaf ears because we are all sinners, unresponsive to God. But in His kindness, through His Word and by His Spirit, God summons sinners to come follow Him. He says, come on. And people follow Him. It's miraculous. He chooses to save sinners from sin, from self, and from hell, from his just wrath. And when these, when these people are transformed by grace, they exhibit that they are no longer subject to the whims of this world, to his rising and collapsing kingdoms that happen every day, but they are subjects of an eternal kingdom. An unshakable foundation, an inheritance that cannot spoil or fade, kept in glory for them. 
That's why they're able to live as pilgrims and sojourners. Because they've been called by the one who offers sustaining power and eternal life. I say all that to say to any of you today who feel greatly discouraged, maybe even hopeless, I want to tell you about the greatest call you'll ever hear. It's the summons of the Lord Jesus Christ who says, come, follow me. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark's gospel. It's on page 970 in the Bible that's provided for you there in the pew. If you don't have a Bible, it would be helpful to have it open in front of you as you follow along in the text with me this morning. And as you're turning there, let me give a little background and context. You know, Mark's gospel reveals that Jesus is leading the new exodus that was promised in the Old Testament. Not one out of Egypt, but, to, from, but one out of far worse, the bondage to sin. Mark's gospel testifies to the centrality of Jesus' intention to reconstitute a new Israel in and around himself. In the Old Testament, when kings were crowned, they began to collect a little band of faithful followers around them who would face danger or death for their sake. And Mark shows us now that Jesus is going to do the same. And the reality of the danger he faced was already discussed last week as we looked at John the Baptist had been imprisoned. The first half of Mark's gospel describes Jesus' expanding authority. So you, if you know chapter 1 and, uh, and, the few, and the few chapters that follow, you see his authority expanding over sickness, over the laws of nature, over the demonic spirits. His authority is also expressed by his calling, appointing and sending out his disciples while consistently teaching in a unique and authoritative way. And the question of who is he becomes urgent. Who is this guy with such authority? That's the right question. The biblical pattern is that God forms a people for himself who in believing in him are to walk in his ways. I want to restate the pattern. It's, from the, it's in the Old Testament. It's here in the New. God forms a people for himself who in believing in him are to walk in his ways. Go back to Abraham. Go back to the children of Israel at Sinai. Look again and again. Look at the calls of Isaiah. It's the same thing. Isaiah promised. He foretold of a king who comes in humble weakness and service by death as the redeeming substitute for God's people. And according to Mark, the way of those who are privileged to know this is to take up a cross Follow him because Jesus is the king who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom payment for many. So this section reveals the new spirit-empowered reality that has burst forth from heaven that we saw at his baptism. It reveals that Jesus' task as Messiah is to create a community of followers, a kingdom. Now let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, 
And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is God's word. We'll stop here. Mark shows us early that Jesus has arrived and the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. He spreads the kingdom slowly through him choosing and calling disciples to himself. The purpose of his calling to this small group was to make them into disciple makers, fishers of men. They cast the message of Christ and sinners uh, and, and sinners in God's timing will be gathered to God. They're to keep casting, keep throwing, keep sowing, keep going, and the Lord will gather people to himself. Here's the central point. The kingdom of God expands through people following Christ. The people of God, excuse me, the kingdom of God expands through people following Christ. And now there's two reasons here from the text I want to talk to you about this morning. Calling and sending. Calling and sending. I pray the Lord will press it upon our hearts how glorious it is to be called by the king and sent by the king as his people. May the Lord awaken in us a desire, fresh and anew, to tell more about Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are listening who are not Christian, I pray that you would, for the first time, hear that Jesus Christ summons you to come follow him, to turn from your sins and from the callings of this world, stop following your ways, and come to eternal life in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God expands through people following Christ. Point number one, calling. Jesus calls people to himself. Jesus calls people to himself. First sub-point, he calls with divine authority. He calls with divine authority. You see, unlike John, John the Baptist, Jesus does not wait for people to come to him at some chosen site. He takes the initiative. He goes out by seeking out followers with this command, you come follow me. Mark does not give the details that the other gospel authors do on purpose. He leaves them out. He wants you to see he called and they followed. He just under, he's underscoring the force of Jesus' call. Jesus speaks, come follow me, and it creates obedience and compels people to follow. Who else but the Son of God, Son of Man, could interrupt four fishermen at their workplace and challenge them to leave their nets and follow him. That's exactly what Mark wants you to see. He commands as God commands. He makes of the fisher of men, men, uh, men, men something new, that which he wills. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Mark wants to see the power of the one who sees persons long before they see him. He sees them. You see that in the text. Jesus is the bringer of the kingdom with unique power and authority whose call can transform lives today. And it's not surprising given the pattern of the word of God, God's calling of Abraham out of Ur, Israel out of Egypt, dry bones and Ezekiel's vision. Just like then we see that there is the command with a promise which is followed by obedience. That's deliberate here in the text. He wants you to see this is God's calling Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. The call so overpowers these disciples that their lives will never be the same. 
Mark portrays properly how the Messiah calls, it's, Messiah's call comes like, like a military command. And these ordinary folks are being drawn, though, into larger purposes, larger than your, themselves. And friends, that's what's wonderful, is that when you realize you were made by God, for God, and that, that to live for anything else is lesser than. You're never going to be satisfied. You're only going to find misery and ruin in pursuing sin and self. And so these fishermen are drawn into these grand purposes. And you are too if you are a child of God. God restores dignity to his people that's been lost with the fall. That sin destroys our lives. But Jesus restores us. Out of his disciples, Jesus will appoint 12, by the way. A symbolic number surely meant to imply the restoration of a faithful Israel. And then he empowers the 12 to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. But do you understand, Christian friend, what God has called you to? Do you understand that there is no greater calling to get than the call of Christ unto eternal life and faithful service right now? Only God can give that. You know, I give the public proclamation, but the Spirit must give it the private proclamation to your heart personally. He must convince you of your sins and your disobedience against God and of the truth of the, and glory of Jesus Christ. Christ had that, had that power, and he gives it to us today as we preach the gospel and we pray for the internal call of Christ by the Spirit. Second sub-point here. His choice is authoritative. His choice is authoritative. Typically, if you know tradition, pupils, students... Choose their teachers, their rabbis. Rabbis did not necessarily go and choose the pupil. So in the Jewish world, a disciple would voluntarily join a school, seek out a master. However, Jesus seeks out and chooses those whom he wants as his disciples. Do you see what Mark is showing us? Jesus even said that. You did not choose me, I chose you and ordained that you should go in John's gospel. So Mark shows us that you can't have a relationship with Jesus unless he calls you. People have tried to put together a seeker-sensitive church these days to appeal to the masses, hoping to bait them with fun things and then seek to see them switch from the love of the world to the love of Jesus and how they approach the local church. But friends, the issue is this. There is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. We should... Go after the lost, but not assume our church services can somehow trick them over time into loving Jesus if we appeal to their flesh more and more. If we put on the right slideshow or light show or drama or whatever you want to put in there, it's the pure ministry of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit that does it, friends. Jesus is the seeker. Don't miss that. Let our services be faithful. Let our lives be obedient and our witnesses gracious to the world. But back to the text. There's, notice here, there's no prerequisite to following. Jesus did not call these guys because of what they brought to the table is what I mean. This is a grace call. Jesus does not tell them to improve their moral character or their social acceptability. He does call them, like he did everyone else, to repent and trust in him. These four guys and these disciples came, that came later, they didn't have many things in their favor. Okay. They were deemed to be lower class, rural, working class, un uneducated by many. They were hardly the elite 
and certainly weren't the most spiritually qualified for this test. Do you see what's going on here? What we see is that they were often narrow-minded, superstitious, full of prejudice, misunderstandings, and hostilities. This is an interesting group he's going to call together. But by the way, it's not just them. That's us too. Just like Israel, just like the disciples, all of us have nothing in us to draw Jesus to us to elicit his choice. They were not chosen by God because they believed. They were enabled to believe because they were chosen by God. We are sinners, rebels to the core, running from God. And how beautiful, how gracious a reality of the gospel is that Jesus approaches us. If you're a Christian, he came to you, and he came to you. He calls our name, he chooses us. He wins our hearts. I don't fully understand his call. I only know that he summons, that when he summons, you must go. God calls us by his grace, Galatians 1.6, into his fellowship, 1 Corinthians 1.9. And this calling, the calling of disciples is highly developed in Paul's writings. He roots them together in God's eternal purposes, predestination that ends in glory. For those who God uh, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, 29 through 30. Brothers and sisters, praise God. Praise be to God alone today that he takes the initiative. He chooses us. If he had not, we would have never chosen him. So with divine authority, God chooses to save. Are you saved? Are you aware how much you need God to intervene today with divine power and authority? Third sub-point. He expects you to follow him now. He expects you to follow him now. Right now. Mark wants his readers to see this astonishing authority of Jesus in calling the disciples. He calls and they immediately respond. That's a, fa a favorite word of Mark. Immediately. They are to come as they are, but they must come right now in trust. It was a sweeping call for those fishermen, and it's no less sweeping, fundamental, and radical today. I mean, look at the, it's one of, look at the situation. It's one of disclosure, commitment that calls for immediate decision. And both at once res respond at once. They respond at once. And so do James and John, whom he also calls. They come without delay. Oh, friends, if you hear anything this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, don't presume that you have the next moment, the next day, the next year. Now is the time to respond to Christ. Right now. The call to discipleship is definite and demands a response of total commitment. To follow Jesus, we are called for, to forsake everyone and everything else. We must not rationalize or explain the way Jesus' call is hyperbole of some, of some sort. Jesus puts before all of us a blank contract that says, sign at the bottom, and I will, Jesus says, I will fill in the details. You trust Jesus like that. If this seems radical, then you must remember who the Bible reveals Christ to be. 
He is the divine Son of Man, Messiah, Savior. He's to be followed now. And note, note too, when, when he calls James and John there in the text, they leave behind their father. You almost feel bad for dad there in the boat. He's stuck there by himself. Um, but they leave behind their father and friends right there in the boat. But this was disruptive to the family priorities. Maybe today you're slow to submit to Christ out of fear of a parent, out of fear of family connections. Maybe they have such sway over your conscience and lordship over your heart, you can't hear Christ. Christ says, come follow me. I'm first. Now, parents, I want to speak to you for a moment right here. We should never discourage our children, young or adult, from following Jesus out of a desire to keep our lives at a certain comfort level. Those children were given to us by God. We give them back to him. We commit, do everything we can to take them to Christ. If you disciple them away from Christ, don't be surprised. If you disciple them that somehow you're to be obeyed above Christ, that their loyalty to you as mom and dad is more important than their loyalty to Christ, don't be surprised that one day their church faithfulness is weak or they make big decisions that looks just like the world does. You have to call them to Christ. You have to call them to Christ. Our main goal as parents is not to get them the best job or the best degree or the best this or the best that. We are to get them to Jesus. We are to tell them everything. Surrender all your giftedness, all your hard labor to Christ alone. God gave you life to glorify him, children, not yourself. You will give an account like every one of us. Parents, let's never discourage them whatsoever, directly or indirectly, away from surrender to Christ. If you sinfully place them in commitments, if you have a like if you committed them to something ongoing on the Lord's day, I don't care if it's sports or arts or any of those things. If you sinfully place them in commitments on the Lord's day, don't be surprised that children grow up confused about what it means to follow Jesus as an adult and they end up walking away from the faith. You commit your family to be faithful to Jesus. Moving instantly towards Jesus is disruptive. Their lives are moving towards Christ is disruptive, friends. It's uncomfortable. We don't like uncomfortable, but we need uncomfortable as it pertains to the kingdom of God. In traditional cultures, you get your identity from your family. And so when Jesus says, I want priority over your family, in front of John and, uh, James and John, that was, that, that was drastic back then. But in our individualistic culture, perhaps, maybe this is you, Saying goodbye to parents isn't that big of a deal. But for Jesus to say, I want priority over your, your career, or, uh, that might sound drastic for many today. I'm afraid that I, I'm scared to death sometimes as a, as a pastor, as an elder, that there are some folks in churches all around Southern Maryland who want their children and families to be so plugged in with the culture of Southern Maryland that the lines of the kingdom of God are blurred. They're so consumed about what, what these little circles think about them rather than obeying Jesus Christ. That's offensive. I'm just trying to share with you heart and soul here from the, from the pulpit. Put Christ first. Stop prioritizing everybody else. Go follow Jesus. The summons of Jesus to follow him is the call of God saying, 
Knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me must become the supreme passion of your life now. Everything else becomes second. I love my boys with a heartache. I can't, can't explain. When I saw them walk in the door this morning, I thought my heart was going to burst. But I always want to know them. I want them to know it's Jesus first, then your mom, then you. Jesus is first. Follow me does not justify, be, by the way, following me here does not justify being a lousy husband, wife, or parent in the name of following Jesus. That's not what Jesus is teaching or ever taught. But there's no comparison between our love for Jesus and our love for everything else. Following Jesus ought to be every Christian's first priority, and it continues to apply. And where this brings an individual into conflict with their natural family, obligations they are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness put Christ first the early disciples left behind everything that was familiar and natural for them they exchanged comfort for uncertainty and that's why we admire missionaries so much isn't it they left it all behind to go we too may not always know all the details where Christ is leading us but we do know who we're following let me ask y'all some more application questions here. Have, have you ever considered the cost of non-discipleship? What if you choose to reject Jesus to live for yourself and die in your sin? What if you choose to settle, settle for casual, cultural Christianity that never truly encounters Christ? And those churches are aplenty in America. Friends, you know what's at stake? Eternity is at stake. The most terrifying words of Scripture are at stake. I never knew you, Jesus says. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, and the death and death apart from a saving relationship with Jesus means eternal judgment. Don't be deceived. The cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the cost of discipleship. Do you follow me this morning? That's why I read to you from Matthew 10. You see, many, are, many people today are willing to have Jesus as part of their lives as long as it doesn't cost them anything. They may even profess faith in Jesus and, and join a church. And friends, if Jesus is, is Jesus to you almost like an insurance policy, something you can obtain and then forget about until you die? You've misunderstood Jesus. and You've misunderstood the call to follow him. Jesus calls us all to follow him every day. So what we need to ask ourselves is, what's keeping me from being a disciple? Maybe that's the question. The gospel is not about choosing to follow advice. It's about being called to follow a king. Let me say that again. Too often sermons come out like TED Talks. You know, like, you know, I need some self-help, some life coaching. That's not what I do. If you're coming to me for that, I'm not, like, I'm not that. I'm a herald of the book. The gospel of Christ does not come to us like advice. It's about following the king. The di disciples didn't see Jesus as their life coach because they didn't know how to adult. Jesus said, I did, not call, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He'll say that in chapter 2. So while following Christ requires abandoning everything at the core, it means we must abandon our sin. 
We must repent and trust in Christ. Repentance is taking God's side against our sin. It, it, it turns from our rebellious direction and in joy runs to the king and says, I will follow you, Jesus. You have the words of life. You are life, and in you is eternal life. You see, these disciples demonstrate by their actions how to respond to the announcement that the kingdom of God was at hand. I'll say that again. In their actions, they demonstrate that the kingdom of God was at hand. A sweeping announcement, a sweeping response. And this is the model for the rest of Mark's gospel as it pertains to teaching on discipleship. So to lay down everything in your life doesn't make sense until you realize who the king is. So you're hearing me talk about all this allegiance and all this repentance and, and turning, giving it all to Christ, and you think, Pastor, this world is really awesome. I, I, I got it made, at least right now I do. And you're thinking, Pastor Garrett, I've got these plans. I've got, I got, I got this. What about this? And me, you still haven't grasped who is giving the summons. This is the Son of God. And if you understand who he, who he is, then you, will, you, then you will begin to realize and understand, make sense of what he calls for. You see, we have in Christ someone worth losing everything for. Amen? I'd rather have Jesus than anything. In a world where everything revolves around self, think with me, friends. Protect yourself. Work on yourself. Promote yourself. Preserve yourself. Take care of yourself. Jesus proclaims to us, slay yourselves and your selfish ways. Deny yourself. Take up the cross because something greater has come than this world can offer. Something greater than yourself. The one who made you, King Jesus. Jesus not, is not just a king with, with the power and authority to tell you what needs to be done. But he's the king with the power and authority to do what needs to be done and then offers it to you as good news. You see, following Jesus means we put our trust in him. We trust his work and his lordship. We trust him completely. God, the son, came to us in human flesh, took on full humanity to redeem our, redeem our entire being. And he, the Bible says that he... Did, he redeemed us by going to the cross of Calvary. Jesus went to the cross to bear our sin debt, our guilt and shame. And to be judged in the place of any and all who repent and believe. And the Bible says God raised him on the third day as he said he would. To, to prove that payment had been accepted. And he ascended back to heaven and he's coming again to judge the world, friends. This is... Friends, I, I, almost want to, I don't know how many times I can say it, but let me say it like this. This is the best news you'll ever hear. This is the best call you'll ever get. Come to eternal life. Know that your sins can be forgiven. Trust in Jesus. You don't need to earn your way to God. He's earned it for us in his perfect life. And it's a gift that you receive by his grace through trusting in him. And if you seize that gift today, eternal life, holding on to it, then you'll be passionate to make Jesus your absolute goal and priority and to orbit your life around him. When you meet somebody with 
a different set of priorities, a different faith, you won't assume that they're inferior to you. You will simply be happy to tell them more about the King of Kings. Oh, yeah, we, we, I, I wish I could sit here and boast and say I had all this great sense and I had all this practical knowledge. I just, I just you know, always knew uh, that, you know, this was the right way. No, God in his grace came to every one of us, showed us our sins and showed us who Christ, those of us who are Christians, and, and we put our trust in him at that moment by his grace. Church, La Plata Baptist Church, shouldn't we want to show people that Jesus is worthy of, of immediate obedience? Should we can be concerned? I want to talk to the church members here. Shouldn't we be concerned about giving the world a picture of a half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity and a pathetic, pathetic Christ? Are you more concerned about losing your freedoms on earth or more concerned about losing out on Christ? There's things that we get all worked up about in this world, isn't there? Did you see this report? Did you hear this news? Did you see what this person's doing? Did you see, uh, think about our own circles in our family, the drama that they can bring in, that we can bring into the family. We get all worked up about these things. And you know what we lose sight of? Seek first the kingdom of God. Obedience to Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we lose our position and make way for the king now. Don't you want to get out of the way? Clear the way? Jesus is worth leaving behind comfort, careers, possessions and positions, family, friends, and perhaps even our safety. When these disciples would find out that the one they were following was, they were going to find this out when he was tried and killed. And to follow Jesus means to hold loosely to everything else and cling tightly to the person of Christ and the mission of his kingdom. Mark wants to press on you. They, he said, come follow me, and they went. They didn't grieve. They thought, but what about our nets? Talking to the Son of God. What about our fish? Wouldn't that be absurd? But isn't that us? What about these things over here? These things are going to die and, and be gone before I know it. I can't leave right now, Jesus, and go follow you. I might miss this internet special. I might miss this moment on social media. I might miss this entertainment venue. I might miss a little bit more money. Friends, do you understand when we grasp the things of this world like that, we're grasping it over Jesus. Come now. He wants you to come right now and follow him. The kingdom of God expands through people following Christ. Point one, calling. Point two, sending. Jesus sends his people to call more to himself. Jesus sends his people to call more to himself. First sub point, he transforms our purposes into his. He transforms our purposes into his. Now, look here. Mark wants, to, wants us to see up front that Jesus is not only able, able to deliver people from the bondage of unclean spirits in the context, okay? He's not only able to, to heal people from disease, but he can deliver us from bondage to material concerns, such as the desire to pursue, preserve our standing of living at all costs. See, there's more to life than, than catching a string of fish, earning the next buck, and getting the next thing. The center of life is to revolve around God who made you. And what's pictured here in these men's changed purposes is a fundamental change in values. What formerly had supreme value, however, now pales beside the supreme worth of the kingdom. The way Mark tells the story echoes ringing back through the scriptures, the larger narrative of God's people. 
where God says, leave your country, leave your father's house to Abraham and go to the land I will show you. You hear the summons? This isn't something new in the Bible. It's the same one. Abraham, like Peter and the others, did what he was told and went where he was sent. And so Jesus did not, does not choose the most, look here, look at, the, look at these, these characters again, the most socially prominent, the best trained, or even the, the most religiously devout. He finds them in the midst of everyday life, going about their daily routines. And the Lord's first four disciples were fishermen. And he calls them to leave it all behind and go. You know, we, we would think, well, Jesus, surely you're going to start building your kingdom, uh, you know, around some, you know, some elite people in the city, right? Don't you need to get the real smart people, the real educated folks, the real impressive ones? He doesn't. I mean, he could have gone to Rome. He, he could have collected an army there. That's not what he does. He goes to fishermen. God's ways are not our ways, by the way, if you don't know that. He was not looking for potential soldiers, but as one commentator said, pastors and teachers, disciple makers. So he went to the ordinary folks, working class people, and he does extraordinary things with them. Many Christians in the Roman world were, were to be drawn from the ranks of slaves and freedmen, if you know your New Testament. And they would be encouraged to know that when Jesus chose his disciples, he chose everyday folks. You know what this shows us here in the text? That becoming a disciple of Jesus is more of a gift than an achievement. It's a gift. It's not your achievement. Jesus models what he calls them to do as fishermen. They have been caught in the nets of God's grace and will, tra and will transform their lives. When one is hooked by Jesus, one's whole life and purpose in life are transformed. Ask yourself today, am I simply someone who fills pews at worship, offering to help out in the work of the church now and then, or has Jesus truly reoriented my life? Can people tell how I, how I use my time, how I use my talents and private life in devotion to him, to worship him and to tell others about him? Can my fellow church members see I'm faithful because Jesus has reoriented my life? You see, he doesn't just call people to salvation and then send them, send them to sit on a couch and eat chips, right? He calls them to serve. And these men are called to break ties with the past, take up a new trade. God's prepared work for them in advance to do. And Jesus is starting to bring them into it. So the New Testament is absolutely clear that for all who follow Jesus, comfort and certainty in this world are no longer your concerns. I don't like that in the flesh. I like comfort. I want to be in my pajamas on a cold day. I don't want to make sacrifices and get everything ready. And do, you know, just go down the line. But if I'm a follower of Christ, the word says to me, comfort and certainty in this world is not my primary concern. Your career, our careers revolve around whatever Jesus calls us to do, however he wants us to use, use us to the spread of the good news of the kingdom. In Christ, God calls people to return to what they were made for, and that is the glory of God, to walk with God. 
And that's what you see happening. They walk with him. And Jesus' call to discipleship is God calling human beings back to himself as the foundation of true and dignified human experience, existence. Excuse me. Friend, hear this. God does not respond to our wayward rebellion. This is the wonderful news which is mere disgust. He shows himself gracious through Christ to any who have ears to hear and pursues us in love. This is who he is. I take great comfort in praying like this. Lord, you graciously pursued me. Use me to pursue others. Have you considered the cost for the world? I'm talking to the little plate of Baptist church right here. Have you considered the cost for the world if we aren't committed learners and followers of Christ? How is it that billions of people have still never heard the gospel? How is it that so many in our own area have never heard the gospel? Have we been content with, the biz- with business as usual in the church instead of realizing what it means to really follow him? The Christ of the scriptures and to spend our lives spreading the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth? One pastor said it like this, failing to follow Jesus truly has global consequences. When he talks about fishers of men, refers back to Jer- Jeremiah chapter 16. When God, uh, when, of men who would, would, of people calling people back from idols to God after judgment has occurred, and this happens in a context of purification, and it will include the Gentiles. You see, friends, people are either caught up in the net of judgment or in the net of grace. We're to go cast the net of grace. Most folks, especially around election cycles, show that they spend their lives consumed with anxiety over earthly destiny. But here's a different way when we look at the Bible. Disciples look beyond this world to to their eternal destiny, which they are convinced is best left in the hands of God. So what hinders you from full commitment to Christ? Is it a fatal illusion that our real needs are physical and it results in self-centered concern for material security? What hinders you from full commitment to Christ? We either grasp that Jesus is the prize or we don't. Last sub-point here. He makes us able to draw people to himself. He makes us able to draw people to himself. Jesus promised to make them. You see that? Make them into fishers, catchers, for the kingdom of God, winning others for him as he had won them at that moment. I want to highlight this. He called them. He loved them. He cared for them. He taught them. He trained them. He was so patient with them. And when he left this earth, he only had a handful of people who were actually following him. But each one of them knew they had one mission, to fish for men, to make disciples. And we know as we keep reading, Jesus sent forth the Holy Spirit to do this work with the disciples and with his church. And the advancement of the gospel in, in the world came about as the Spirit of God used every single one of these early disciples to accomplish his grand and global purpose. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. A promise and assurance that he will change us. 
So we need to remember this. Discipleship, sanctification, not justification. Justification is the moment you trust in Christ and your sins are forgiven. Discipleship, sanctification takes time. It's a process. That's why we're, even the process of bringing someone through baptism, making disciples is a process. Were the disciples great men of faith from the beginning? You're going to read this book and go, well, no, they, there was a lot, of, a lot of problems. You'll see they had, to go, they had to grow in their faith just as you and I do. It took time for Christ's call and message to work in them maturity, to make them fishers of men. But nevertheless, the disciples followed. We may question and falter, but we must never stop following Jesus. And there's no way these men could carry out the commands given from Jesus. And so Jesus says, in effect, I will enable you to do all that I command. I will make you fishers of men. So let's just back up. Look at the picture a little bit from the back end here. God takes the initiative to choose us. He provides the power to use us. He gets the glory through us. You see it in these, in these men. Peter, look at the text, Simon, the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, as one, put, one guy put it preached the first Christian sermon and led more than 3,000 people to Christ, literally increasing the church by, uh, one guy notes here, 2,500% in one day in Acts chapter 2. John wrote books contained in the New Testament that are still used to lead people to Christ 2,000 years later. Other disciples were scattered to the nations proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, even at the risk of their own lives. History was altered forever, friends, by this group of disciples. And it began with four local fishermen. You see the beauty of God's purposes, namely to take weak, take the weak and enable great things to the praise of His glorious grace. May God use us and our churches to change our own world today. And don't move this as don't miss this as we move forward in Mark's gospel. The drawing of people into the kingdom of God was the whole purposes, purpose of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the imagery of a fish, of fishermen involved long hours. So maybe you associate fishing with hobby and something fun, but the kind of fishing they were doing was long. It was hard work. Sometimes little results. Isn't that like evangelism? Doesn't it take slow work? Constant casting? Prayer, persistence, dedication, often in spite of minimal, minimal results. In the gospel, the net we cast is God's means of lifting people from the dark waters of sin and death into the light and life of Christ Jesus. What a, what a responsibility. What a privilege. The Great Commission is a great privilege and responsibility. To be associated with Jesus Christ so closely. You know, there was a team that won the Super Bowl this past, last Sunday. And there are going to be guys who get rings who didn't even see the field that night. And they're just excited to be part of the team. To be part of the world champs. Does not compare. It doesn't compare whatsoever with the privilege of being associated with Christ and the Great Commission. Just imagine being a working partner with God in the redemption of the world. Jesus challenged, if any, man, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. 
if any man serve me, him will my father honor. John 12, 26. So early on, I want to make it clear if that if we're not making disciples, then we're missing what it means to be a disciple in the first place. Right at the outset, Jesus called disciples to himself so that they would make disciples. The goal is not simply as a church to meet, but to come alongside other believers and ask, how can we make disciples of Jesus? And you may be thinking, Pastor Garrett, I'm not you. I'm not one of the elders. I can't do this discipleship stuff. To which Jesus says, yes, that's the point. We can't do it. We need him to make us what we cannot be in and of ourselves. We follow him and he makes us fishers of men. How can God use you to cast out the net of the gospel this week? Are you interested in growing in how to train new converts? Because if you are, I'd love to hear from you this week. We'll get together and we'll do some study. We'll do everything we can to sharpen ourselves to share the gospel. The gospel makes missionaries of God's people. Where are you casting your net? You casting it home first to your loved ones, your children, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, and on and on and on. Do you ever think that that, that long line in the grocery store that maybe really inconvenienced you and, and, and irritated you might have been an opportunity for you to cast the net again? Let me conclude. Have you heard the summons of Christ? Are you following him? Are you being made into fishers of men? Will you be a part of his kingdom? Does your life show it now? Church, can't you hear the call? Rise up, O people of God. Be done with lesser things. Give heart and soul to the greatest, the King of kings, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you summoned us to yourself by your sheer grace. We praise you for bringing, in, bringing us into kingdom work. And we pray, God, that we would, Lord, be all the more in tune, Lord, with you and less with the priorities of this world. Bring revival to our church in that way, we pray. Help us to get our eyes off this world and off the comforts of this age and get down to the serious work of the kingdom. We need your help in this. We trust your promises that you will make us fishers of men. In Jesus' name, amen.